Hey, Jacob, you there, bud? Yep, I'm here. How's it going, man? Hey, man, I'm doing well. You doing okay today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Oh, God, no problem, man. No problem at all. Love, uh, love helping anyone out that I can, you know? Been there before. Yeah. Yeah, you've been you've been on the low you've been on the low road working your way up there. You've been there before. Yeah, exactly. No doubt, man. So anytime I can, uh pop on something and help somebody out, I'm absolutely willing to do that. Yeah, cool. All right. Yeah, I had bone on this app and it didn't work, so we ended up having to do it other way. So hopefully this works. Hopefully the people get to hear this. But uh cool. I'm not it's super sure how to trim this thing. So hope there's a chance that people will be hearing what we're saying right now. So uh, I'll just start it off. I'll just start getting it going. Um Thanks, everyone, for listening. Welcome into Ohio vs. the World, exclusive Ohio sports podcast where we talk everything. Buckeyes, Browns, uh, Cavaliers, Indians, Blue Jackets crew, Reds, Bengals, all that stuff. Um, right now, we got Brandon Beam joining us from 97.1 The Fan. He's on the Buckeyes show, 6 to 8 p.m., Monday through Friday. And he also does Locked On Buckeyes podcast, so he's a little bit of an Ohio State football expert. I don't know if I'd call myself an expert. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of the tasks that I've been given. And uh, yeah, you know, as, a, as a broadcaster, you kind of dive into uh, anything that uh, people are interested in. And there's no doubt, man, living in Columbus, uh, as you know, that it's just a uh, it's a crazy town, man. It's an absolute pressure cooker um, for Ohio State and fans, uh, you know, every part of the year. We get past football season and people uh, are talking about, you know, being on the recruiting trail and, you know, what's what's Ohio State's offense going to look like next year? What's the defense mm-hmm. look like next year? So it's really uh, it's really a nonstop thing. But, you know, there are worse things in the world to talk about than the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, maybe not this week. Uh, there's a little yeah. bit of, of a panic mode that's set in. Uh, no doubt when you look at Ohio State's last game against Purdue, uh, just a total evisceration, man, 49 to 20, that loss. Uh, but I think the warning signs were there. You know, this was a, a team – who um, you really you knew that they had all the talent in the world, right, Jacob? Like you knew mm-hmm. coming in that Dwayne Haskins was going to be uh, this guy, and then you had your six returning receivers, and then you get the 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 the, the blow dealt to you uh, this past week that Austin Mack may miss the rest of the year. But there was no doubt this was a team coming into the year uh, with expectations to win a national championship. Uh, but that loss to Purdue, it kind of set them back a little bit. And I still think that they could still be in the mix for that, but they still have uh, still have some ways to go on that. Yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to get into. Obviously, Ohio State lost 49-20 in West Lafayette Saturday. And, you know, it's been a bit of a panic, like you said, here in Columbus. But, yeah, that's pretty much what I wanted to get into. I just had, like, a set of a few questions here to ask you about that game and just just in general. So the first one you already touched on a little bit was uh, there was glaringly obvious problems coming into that game, uh, specifically the red zone offense, the linebackers, the secondary, and the run offense. More specifically, probably the offensive linemen. We know that J.K. Dobbins and uh, Mike Weber are good running backs, so it, it's got to be the offensive line, we're guessing. We see that they're not getting that push, but we know all those problems are glaringly obvious problems coming into West Lafayette. Why do you think they weren't fixed before the game? You know, I think it's a combination of things. I think when you look at it, um, this, is a, this is a team, I think, that um, is mentally strong. I think that they're a very young team, though, and so when you go back and you – if you rewatch the games, you have it on DVR or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, go back and you look at it. Uh, it just, it, it wasn't surprising because it's exactly those reasons that you listed off. This was a team at the beginning of the year that came out guns blazing. Uh, the offense just looked phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, you really, when you start to dive in uh, to those nooks and crannies and you start to watch film and you start to kind of break it down, like a football coach and you see that this is a team that has given up 35 plays uh, of 15, Mm -hmm. 20, 25 yards and more over the course of a season. 
and this is only eight games in. I mean, I can't remember the last time an Ohio State defense uh, has been gashed that many times. And so when you play with fire for that amount of time and through the season and you look at the opponents and you look and you say, all right, well, TCU is a good team. That seemed like a good college football game, you know. Uh, that TCU team at that moment looked like a top 15, top 10 team. And then all of a yeah. sudden, you know, they lose games to Texas, Oklahoma. They beat Iowa State at home. Uh, but their season seems to uh, have just come unraveled. And so when you really watch the games and you break it down, I do. I, it, was, it, was, it really was uh, like kind of setting a, a long fuse for an explosion that this was going to happen at some point. And I know we talked about it a lot, that this cat, Rondale Moore for Purdue, you know, he was going to be the guy for them. And he was going to be mm-hmm. – uh, he's, he's like Tyreek Hill. You know, he's a, he's a freshman. He could have gone anywhere into the country – uh, on his signing day, I believe he was playing in the All-American game, uh, the uh, the Army All-American game, uh, and he put the Ohio State down, Ohio State hat down. Uh, he put the Alabama hat down, and he went with Purdue. And a lot of people were criticizing him for that, but you know he knew what he was doing. And Jeff Brom and that offense, uh, it worked. And that was a guy who we knew coming into this game that was going to be explosive with a secondary who hasn't been the greatest that continues to play that cloud man coverage um, mm-hmm. that allows for guys to get into any sort of option route they want, whether it be uh, a slant route to the inside, slant route to the out, deep post pattern, everything. Like this secondary play has been so bad, and what do you know it? The guy goes for 12 catches, 170 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, And I think the most surprising thing, Jacob, really has been, because you can talk about the pass defense uh, and how bad that they've been, but I I also have never seen an Ohio State run defense that has been gashed on the ground as much as they had. I mean, we're talking about the past three weeks now. A running back has gone over 100 yards on you. Mm-hmm. Knox, 128, uh, 128 yards on 16 carries, three touchdowns on the ground. I mean, that's something that, you know, I don't know if that's scheme. I don't know if that's players not doing their gap assignments. I don't know if that's uh, miscommunication between Tough Borland and the rest of the team trying to get your assignments down. I don't know what it is. And Ohio State and the coaching staff have a lot to figure out uh, during this bye week to try and keep those hopes of a Big Ten championship alive for this team. Yeah, that was you touched on another question I had too, which was, I mean, is it the, are the coaches more to blame or is the talent just not there this year? I talked about it on my other podcast that I have with a friend. We talked about uh, the fact that there's just players like Jocelyn Wynn and uh, Baron Browning and players like that who just, I don't think the talent is there like it's been in the past with players like James Laurinaitis. You know, he works with you at 97.1 on the fan. Yeah. He's he has the talent, obviously, but do you think it's more talent or more coaching or a little bit of both, or what do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's both. Um, you know, this is a, it's a team sport, and it's the ultimate team sport. I mean, you have mm-hmm. 11 guys out there, uh, depending on what kind of system that you play, that can go out there for 50 to 100 snaps during a football game, and you have to lock down elite receivers, uh, elite running backs, elite offensive linemen. You have to do everything with that. So I do. I think it's a combination of both. I wouldn't necessarily say that the talent isn't there. I think that the talent is there, but – is there a will to want to win the game? And I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing because you've seen Ohio State teams in the past. You know, you look at Urban Meyer's first year here after coming in for Luke Fickle. You look at that undefeated 12-0 team. That team was not nearly as talented as yeah. the team right here today. But that team found a way to go 12-0 in a Big Ten. And if they weren't suspended for a bowl game, that's the team who you're talking about uh, who's going to be competing against Notre Dame in the national championship game. Now we all yeah. know that that's not the case. Um, but I do. I think this team is so talented. But that's what I don't understand is, is it, what is it? Is it a, is it a will to want to win? Is that not happening? 
Um, is there friction in the locker room? There's so many different angles that you can look at this, but I do. I think, I think it's absolutely coaching. And when you go back and you watch the Purdue film, the thing that stood out to me the most, and I'm sure a lot of people too, uh, who are asking questions about it is that the, the linebackers, you know, you've got Pete Werner, you've got tough Borland, Malik Harrison, uh, Baron Brownie, you got these guys who are athletes. Like these guys are athletes. Pete Werner is a guy who transitioned from the safety position. That guy's mm-hmm. You know, he's one of the fastest players on the team, and you got him playing linebacker. You got him playing on the outside. He can hawk people down, but they're playing one, two yards off the line of scrimmage, and they're allowing Purdue's offensive line to get their hands on them so early where they're just trapped and they can't do anything. And They're not being aggressive uh, as far as gap shooting goes uh, or gap responsibility, and it seems like they're just a little bit unsure of themselves at the moment, and that's where it comes down to, well, is it is it the players? Is it that half second of unsureness <clears throat> that is going to allow for the other team to run for, you know, a 15, 20, 25-yard gain on a play? Mm-hmm. Or the coaching telling them to get in that position and don't move until you see an offensive key or an offensive uh, tip to move. So, yeah, there's a lot of questions, man. There's a, It's a ton of questions. It's an interesting time now uh, to be an Ohio State fan, to be an Ohio State player, a coach. Because I really do. I feel like the talent on this team is enough. Uh, but it's just you have to marry everything together as far as coaching and talent and players' willingness to play uh, in different positions. And that didn't happen this past Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, another glaringly obvious problem was the red zone offense. One thing I wanted to get into with the red zone offense is that, I mean, if the red zone offense is better in that game and the red zone defense is better in that game, Ohio State wins that game. Sure. I think they were 0-4 or 0-5 on touchdowns from the red zone. And I think Purdue went 4-4 from the red zone, getting touchdowns. Yep. So, I mean, if you flip those a little bit, if you just go 4-4 for for touchdowns and they go like 2-4, for 3-4, for I mean, you're winning that football game. So that's obviously the biggest problem of them all probably, if you can find a way to get, get in the end zone when you get inside the 20-yard line. Do you think they should work on that? And do you think that Tate Martell should start getting snaps inside the red zone? Yeah, I, I don't know about the whole Tate thing. I think that when you have a quarterback like Dwayne Haskins in there, I know that Urban Meyer's philosophy is always that he wants the quarterback to be uh, kind of the do-it-all kind of a guy. He wants mm-hmm. to throw the ball in the red zone. He wants to be able to have the quarterback run it. He wants to be able to have the H-back, the running backs, uh, all get their hands on the ball. Um, but once again, I think that just comes down to wanting to win the line of scrimmage. And this is something that's become a glaring weakness in Ohio State's game. I mean, from that Oregon State game all the way uh, to the Minnesota game, the the amount of rushing yards per attempt has been just way down low. And so I just I don't know. Um, I don't know what causes that. I don't know if that's the line of scrimmage, if the offensive line. Uh, what? But I can't remember a time, Jacob, that, you know, you're sitting there and it's third and I don't know, third and one, third and two from the three yard line. And you've passed all three times. And I think that comes down to a little bit of coaching scheme. Now, mm-hmm. I just it, and it's so hard for me to wrap my head around is that like I know I, I get it. You lost JT Barrett. Ohio State lost JT Barrett. He's one of the statistical leaders in every category that the Big Ten has ever seen. That's a guy who was here for four years and he was great at managing the game. But you got a guy in Dwayne Haskins who can put the ball uh, anywhere that he wants to, uh, who can, you know, do a lot of different things. And the fact that they stalled out uh, on the red zone so many times, it just it doesn't make sense to me how your offensive line can average six foot six, six foot seven, three hundred and forty pounds. I mean these are massive dudes. Like mm-hmm. these human being movers. Like that's what they're built for. You look at these guys 
and you see how big they are in person, <clears throat> the fact that you can't get any push on the line of scrimmage, and like it just it, it blows my mind how you cannot just run the ball four times in a row and get those five, six, seven, eight yards that you need. Like that's an Ohio State offense that I think has become very foreign to people. The fact that this isn't a smash mouth kind of a team where you're going to have an offensive yeah. line just line up in front of somebody, a running back that's going to run through someone and unbuckle their chin strap on the way through. And I think that's the most frustrating part about it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we knew coming into the season that there was a good chance the linebackers in secondary were going to be a little bit shaky, but I don't think anyone was really talking about the offensive line coming into the year having having problems. Yeah, absolutely it was. It was a, you know, it was a team that was uh, anchored by Isaiah Prince. He was named captain of the team. That was great. We knew that there was going to be some challenges uh, moving Michael Jordan over from guard to center. Mm-hmm. With a seamless transition from Pat Elfline to Billy Price. They both did that same thing. Uh, but Michael Jordan has had his struggles. There's no doubt uh, this year. Low snaps uh, on a mm-hmm. shot offense. Uh, that has been uh, a little bit of a problem. The first main priority of a center is to get your quarterback the football Something he struggled with in the TCU game is something he struggled a little bit uh, with in Purdue. Uh, but, yeah, this was an offensive line coming in that, yeah, you're absolutely right, was um, built to move people around. And I don't know if that came from so long of that they have created this identity of being a throw-first team and you're used to sitting back on your heels more. You're not used to firing off the line of scrimmage more. I don't know if they got comfortable in that and comfortable in that mindset that I'm not going to go out there and attack this person. Uh, But it's something that really caught us off guard. You know, we were talking about after week one, like, oh, my God, Mike Weber looked way better than J.K. Dobbins. Mm -hmm. And we thought you just had this treasure trove back there at at running the football. Um, But that has continued to go down game by game. And it really is. It's red alert time for this offense uh, to be able to get something going. Because I tell you this right now, if you don't get this running game going, Uh, against Michigan State or Michigan, and you're going to become a one-dimensional team and they can throw seven guys uh, back out in the outfield and let them just play catch, uh, then it's going to be a tough go-round for the rest of the Big Ten season, uh, I think, for Ohio State. So I think that's key number one. Listen, you can have a defense uh, give up, you know, 28, 35, 40 points a game and still win. I think this offense is still good enough to do that. But if you become one dimensional through the air and that's all you can do, then that's going to be uh it could be a wrap for the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They obviously have the bye week coming up here, which in a way is a good thing that they have this bye week that you got time to figure out some of these things, but is there any specific changes you can think that could help some of these problems uh, like the red zone offense, the linebackers, the secondary and the run offense? I think everything, you know, everyone has kind of been clamoring for this. Uh, and I've said it, you know, a hundred times and I'll say it again is that, I just I don't know I don't understand the philosophy in that you cannot install an under center play. You know how many times yeah. we, see, we see teams so often who run shotgun plays. They run shotgun plays and they run shotgun offenses, and that's all said and good. But you got a guy in Dwayne Haskins who's six foot three, six foot four, two hundred and thirty, two hundred and forty pounds. Like this dude is a mammoth dude, and if you can line him up under center and get that fourth and one, a third and two, something like that, then mm-hmm. you would think that that would be able uh, to be something that you could work on. Your guys are big enough up front that they can get the push. Dwayne Haskins is strong enough. Line Mike Weber up behind him and have him push uh, Dwayne Haskins in. And I think that's something that Ohio State fans for a long time, uh, ever since Jim Trestle left, that Ohio State fans have not seen uh, a quarterback go under center. And listen, it comes with its offs and ons. Listen, this Ohio State offense – has been breaking records, you know, like every single year 
under Urban Meyer. I don't know if you would want to transition that back to a Jim Trestle, Trestle style ball where they're going to kill you with three yard runs, three, four yard runs, and, you know, maybe 15 pass attempts a game. I don't think mm-hmm. any state fans want to see that, but something where you get under center can be huge because, you know, this Ohio state offense, you have Dobbins and Weber back there and they're flat footed when they get, they get the ball. They have no momentum yeah. when they're moving forward to the line of scrimmage. And that to me, like that's huge because, you have a guy who's flat-footed. All of a sudden, he needs to get acceleration to get to the line of scrimmage, and then he could be met before then. Instead, if you have him line up five, six yards behind the quarterback, get a downhill start, and then just run right into your offensive lineman, push him forward for one, two, three yards, uh, then that can be huge. But I would like to see, um, I would like to see that happen for Ohio State for them to transition—not transition, but throw it in every once in a while. You do it when you kill the games. Uh, at the end of the games, when you take a knee, you know that those snaps are good. Just run up, you know, under the center. Uh, I think a few times would also give Michigan, Michigan State, these other defenses something to work on uh, and giving them different looks. And that way, you know, you're 100% not going to be under center all the time. Yeah, I'm completely, w- completely with you there. We've seen a lot with this team. They get to fourth and one or even third and two. And it's just like, why are you not getting under center? You got this huge guy, Dwayne Haskins. You got these huge offensive linemen. What was that? Yeah, like they're running east and west play calls where you're having yeah. 10, 15 yards to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, back to the, the Big Ten championship game with Carlos Hyde when he goes out to the outside. Uh, it's a fourth and two play where I think the entire state of Ohio uh, was expecting just to run up the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had that down pat. They understood it. Uh, they knew the tendencies and they knew the reads. But, yeah, it's just it's something that I think Ohio State fans are clamoring for is just to get this running game going. And I think that's the biggest thing during the bye week is for them to really focus on that offensive line room, that running backs room, and say, listen, we cannot achieve any of our season-long goals if you guys do not start kicking it into gear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. As someone who just consumes football and watches a lot of football, it feels like every time I see a team run the QB sneak, it works like 95, 97, 98% of the time. We saw Joe Burrow when LSU was playing Georgia two weeks ago. They ran it like four or five times, I think, and every single time it worked. Yeah, it's just a dagger play, and that's what mm-hmm. you they they run an offense where they run some under center, they run some from the shotgun. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just I just I don't understand the philosophy there. And listen, I'm not Urban Meyer. I don't get paid seven million dollars to do it. I'm an armchair <laughs> quarterback, just like the rest of us. Yeah, uh, it's something I think that you could work on in manageable situations where it's a fourth and one. And listen, that's going to happen at some point this year. You are going to get to a situation. I know it was different against Purdue this week because you kind of got blown out of the water, um, and there was no way to recover from that except for through the air. But you're going to get into a game, and whether that be Nebraska, Michigan State, Michigan, Maryland, whoever you want on the upcoming schedule, there will be a play where there will be a fourth and one, fourth and two, and you're going to need to get it. And so that's why those guys get paid a lot of money uh, to decide which play calls uh, suits their best option to get those one or two yards. But I think that and Ohio State fans want to see something under center. Yeah. Yeah, so the final thing I got for you here is just kind of just a broad question. You can take this anywhere you want, but where do you see Ohio State going forward? I mean, we've seen this before from this team. We saw it last year at Iowa. Everyone panics, and then they immediately get it right back on track. We saw it with Clemson in 2016. They came back in 2017. They looked good again. Every time they lose, they usually find a way to get right back, even though everyone panics and freaks out and thinks it's the end of the Urban Meyer era. He usually yeah. finds a way to get it back on track. So we've got Nebraska coming up, then Michigan State, Maryland, and Michigan. I don't think any of these games are pushover games. We saw what Nebraska just did to a Minnesota team that we struggled with. 
Sure. We know Michigan State has one of the best defenses in the country. Maryland's been a good team this year. They beat the number six team in the country, Texas. And obviously, anytime we play Michigan, that's going to be a tough game. And they're really good this year. They probably have the best defense in the country. So where do you see these four games going? And you know, I, on out? Yeah, I think the Nebraska game will tell you a lot mm-hmm. uh, because this is a team now under Scott Frost uh, who is very motivated. You know, they went through their tough window of not winning a game. They finally um, popped that thing. So, you know, they got one win, uh, which is good for them. But I think it will tell you a lot. Listen, this is a noon kickoff. We know mm-hmm. that Ohio State and noon kicks usually are not the best. They are not usually uh, the most up to speed for noon games. And so I think this Nebraska game will tell you a lot about what this is going to do. And if the pass defense continues to struggle um, against Adrian Martinez and J.D. Spielman out there, if that continues to struggle, if you see continuing struggling uh, from the linebackers again and you don't win this line of scrimmage against a one-win te- one Nebraska team, uh, I think it could be uh, a long rest of the season, even though it's only a month time. I think it could be a year or two that you've spent uh, in these <laughs> next four That being said, if those issues somehow get fixed, uh, I think this is a team, uh, if they can push over Nebraska, if they can win that game handily, I think this is a team that understands that they messed up. They plain and simple, they messed up, whether that be a pride thing, whether that be assignment thing, anything like that. Um, I just think that you can head into Michigan State, you can go up to East Lansing, which we know has not been the friendliest to Urban Meyer. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can go into that game feeling very confident. But I do, I think all of your key indicators are going to happen in this next week's Nebraska game. This is going to be a team that's going to be motivated and have two weeks' time uh, to really get in there and do what they want to do and change up systems how they want to change them up. If you don't see any change against Nebraska, this is a team who could fall against Michigan State and Michigan. That's just plain and simple. If you come out and you see a team that is hungry on the ground and you see J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber and these guys go for over you know, 150, 200 yards on the ground, I think this could be a change team. And I think this bye week comes at the perfect time. But I do. I think if you come out and you dominate Nebraska – this is a team that could still make its way to the Big Ten Championship. If they struggle against them, I think that it could be uh, maybe one or two more losses for the regular season. All right, cool. And then finally, just let's go off a hypothetical, I guess. Let's assume that Ohio State does fix things and they go 12-1 and and they beat uh, Wisconsin or Purdue even or a uh, Iowa team in the Big Ten, Big Ten West for the uh, conference title. What do you think their chances are of getting into the playoffs? Yeah, I think they're pretty good. Um, you look at this, and we know the committee last year, uh, we talked so much about Iowa and losing the game. It's not losing the game. It's losing the game how mm-hmm. you the game. Uh, but that was different because that was a team that had two losses. Now, this is an Ohio State team with one loss. And listen, man, college football is so crazy. And I'll tell you right now, it's that if Alabama, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and Clemson all went out, those tickets are punched. Those are, mm-hmm. those are four teams. But if one of them loses – uh, if they go down, I think that Ohio State could be right there because you need to continue to have Michigan State win and Michigan win uh, for this team to really uh, get some attention. And you need that Big Ten West opponent uh, to be very good as well and humming at the same time. So I think with that being said, if they do run the table for the next four games, you win the Big Ten championship, I think it will be very hard on the committee to leave this team out knowing exactly what this offense is and the potential for Dwayne Haskins to uh, shatter every single Ohio State record in the book. Yeah, yeah, I'm completely with you. I think if they go 12-1, and one, then they should be in. I know there's a lot of people out there saying that if 
this lose already disqualifies them from the playoffs. If they fix things and they go 12 and one, even though I don't necessarily think they will, if they do, they got to be in there. Um, It'd probably be them and Clemson and Notre Dame and Alabama. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, those guys, if they, like you said, if they went out, if those four teams went out, then those are your four tickets punched to the college football playoff. There's no way around it. Undefeated yeah. power five, and then a Notre Dame team uh, who we haven't seen really wreck the college football playoff yet. Uh, you knew their time was coming with Brian Kelly. They look to be good with Ian Book. But, yeah, uh, madness will ensue. It always does. Yep. Uh, so, I guess your one last word to Ohio State fans around there is don't panic just yet. Uh, you do your business, and I think you have a good shot of uh, achieving what you wanted to achieve at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I'm completely with you. Don't panic just yet, but if we see similar issues against a 1-6 Nebraska team, then it might be time to panic, especially if they lose to Michigan State. Then it's time to panic. But, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, absolutely, Jacob. Anytime, man. Uh, yeah, if you need anything, you just let me know, okay? All right, cool. Thanks for coming on. This was Brandon Beam from 97.1. He'll be on uh, 6 to 8 every – usually 6 to 8 every night on the uh, Buckeye show. And then you also do Locked On Buckeyes, correct? Yep, yep. Do that with uh, the producer of Carpenter and Rothman, Matty Ice. So, uh, yep. yeah, appreciate it, man. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to talk to you soon. All right, cool. Thanks, man.